Bueller. That was bloody brilliant. Oh, thank you for that assessment, Mr. Weasley. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. You done messed up, A.A. Ron! Hey, everyone. I'm Joe. And I'm Jamil. And we're Brothers Who Teach. Bueller. Welcome, everyone, to the 13th episode of Brothers Who Teach. Jamil, this will be a baker's dozen for us if we get through it. I knew you were going to reference Saturday Night Live and Dub Bears there with the the baker's dozen. Um, I've got to tell you, Joe, I used quizzes for the first time this week. You talked about that in our last episode about what to do when you don't have a lesson plan. Um, Our two guests today might need help on when they don't have lesson plans. But um, I, I I have a vocab unit that's in this blue textbook called um, vocab for uh, vocab for something for the academic world. And I searched lesson seven vocab for the academic world, and there was a quiz quizzes already made. And I literally just copied it and stuck, fired it up, and my students just entered the the code name and all that info, and it worked great. You're so, a believer. Shout out for I'm a believer now. Yeah. All right, that's can't, good to hear. Can't imagine what else is out there. Um. How was your week, Joe? Can't complain. Um, we're one week closer to spring break. And, uh, yeah, we had, we had our soccer tryouts, got through it. Uh, no tears when, uh, okay. when I had to make oh, my that's cuts. Good. And that's that's always encouraging to see. And, yeah, I'm excited for the year coming up. Have you had, How... have you had tennis going on here? Yep. We had a match uh, Thursday and Friday this week. Got a win and a loss. Um, mostly good play, so I'm happy with that. Um, guys are learning and being challenged, so that's all you can ask for. Yeah, but that's good. Um, we are excited this episode to be continuing in our series of talking to new teachers or teachers who were put in difficult situations. Um, so I've got two of my colleagues, my current colleagues, coming to us. We've got Jack Fader and Wyatt Long. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, doing all right, guys. Thanks for having us. Great to have you guys on. Um, so Jack is with me at Christ School. We actually taught, uh, coached some JV soccer together for just a year, and then he stopped doing that. You guys can infer what you want from that situation. Wyatt uh, came in uh, two years ago in the middle of the pandemic, so he's got an interesting experience to talk about, too. Um, but first, how about you guys start by introducing yourselves a little further talking about where you came from and what you do at Christ School currently. Yeah, so I actually am a boarding school kid. Um, I went to Blair Academy. My mom worked there since I was in fourth or fifth grade. So I kind of had the experience of growing up on a boarding school campus. Um, After my experience at Blair, decided to go to Hartwood College in Oneonta, New York. Um, Kind of bounced around for a year after that, did a little sports writing um, eventually found my way back to a job at Blair and when the pandemic hit decided that I was kind of hooked on you know returning to the boarding school community finding a job where I can do more than just one thing and most importantly you know something where you're not repeating the same actions every day something where you have to wear different hats um, which eventually led me to an interview in the middle of a pandemic over Zoom um, and you know, moving down to North Carolina from New Jersey, uh, August without ever stepping on campus. And 
since then I've been here and uh, have enjoyed my time. Uh, and yeah, um, I'm that, from. Just to clarify, since we've got two guests, that was Wyatt talking, and then Jack is about to talk now. Yeah, hi. Okay. Uh, I'm Jack Fader. Uh, I'm from a small town in southeastern Connecticut. Um, birthplace of Lyme disease, if that interests anybody. <laughs> um, uh, yep. I'm a child of two teachers. Um, my entire family basically is teaching. My brother's a teacher at a boarding school up in Massachusetts. Um, my dad's a head of school now uh, where I went to high school, um, a small day school in New London, Connecticut. Uh, after high school, I went down to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, the home of the worst logo in all of organized sports now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I finished up there. Um, and got to talking through through certain headhunting firms, got to talking to people here at Christ School in the spring of 2019. Um, came, over, came down here for an interview in March. Um, loved it here. Loved the opportunity of, of working with kids, seeing as my, my parents have been around it. I've been in school for my entire life. Um, so it kind of felt like a natural fit. Um, and so got offered a job, and we'll talk about that on the, on the day that I came and interviewed and, and moved down here in August of 2019 at age 22. And I've been here since. And I've mentioned what you're doing now. Uh, yeah, so I, I teach uh, in two different departments. Uh, one's world languages, so I teach one section of Spanish one um, and one in Spanish culture and conversation, which is a sort of a survey course for people, for students who are done with Spanish three and don't really want to go take AP Spanish. So in that class, we focus more on culture um, and, and speaking. Um, and then I also teach ninth grade ancient world history. It's called Empires and Encounters here, but it's mostly an ancient world history class. Uh, Wyatt and I both coach varsity lacrosse. I help out with the video and sort of football operations for the varsity football team after leaving my post as an assistant JV soccer coach in a season that we Tragic. win probably one in 10. It was a tough year. Um, I live in the eighth and ninth grade dorm, all the new students, which is a, a unique challenge, but is something that I really enjoy doing for a number of reasons. Um, I think I've covered, I think that's all of it. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a variety. And Wyatt? I am currently teaching uh, honors American literature and working as a learning resources tutor, which is kind of our teaching kids how to learn a program at Christ School, helping them along the way, helping them become better students. As Jack mentioned, uh, I coach lacrosse, which is a year-round commitment uh, for me at this point. Uh, super enjoyable, super tiring, but definitely something I wouldn't want to give up. And then I live in Gardner House. I serve as head of house to the only air-conditioned and smallest dorm on campus. So that's a, a blessing in itself. <laughs> nice. And I, I asked you guys about what you're currently doing because one of the first questions we're going to ask is, how does that line up with the job description that you were given before you got here? And just before you answer that, I just wanted to restate that this is kind of a, a continuation in our series. After we talked to our friend Luke Batdorf about, he taught one year and decided to get out of teaching after that one year. We called the episode Doomed to Fail. <laughs> so with you guys, I think you, you're still teaching after your first year. And so I, I'm tentatively titling this Built to Succeed question mark. Like, has this, you know, are you guys getting more and more comfortable as teachers or not? You know, and you've been here a couple of years now. What have been the struggles and what have been the successes? And what have you guys observed from your 
short tenures and what what could be done better as far as how you were welcomed and supported. So go ahead and with that first question then, how is what you're doing now compared to what you were told you would be doing? So as I was preparing for uh, this podcast, I went back and looked at my first contract that I got at Christ School. And so, and I know sure. why I did the same, he just pulled it up. Um, and it says teacher and, co- and uh, teacher, coach and dorm parent. So in that sense, <laughs> okay, so it's exactly right. In that, in that sense, sense it's exactly what you guys are doing now. Yeah, in that sense, it's exactly uh, aligned with the job description, however vague the job description was. But but that was a bit difficult for me because I came in right out of college, um, was not an education major in college. I was a history major. I was a political science and Spanish minor. Um, so I didn't have much practice in being in a classroom. I didn't do any student teaching. Um, and so my first year, really, I like to talk about was a lot like student teaching for me. I got to I actually got to shadow um, Jamil um, in eighth grade English and, and another one of our teachers in eighth grade history um, to see how they manage classrooms. Um, but I didn't know what I was going to teach until August of that first year. Um, I had one section of Spanish one my first year. And, and thankfully, um, a few people helped me out a lot with that. But it was the first month or so was like getting tossed in the deep end, figuring out how do you talk to the kids? How do you make assignments? How do you make lesson plans? How do you give tests? How do you give quizzes? Um, and so by the letter, yes, it, it is what the job description was, but the the vagueness of it made it difficult for me to sort of wrap my head around it early on. And to prepare it all. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah I, I got a call in July that I was potentially going to have to teach like AP econ, which I had no background in. <laughs> and, and so I spent like a week going through, okay, how, if I have to teach AP econ, how am I going to do that? Uh, and then I got another call like two weeks later, we don't need you to teach AP econ, but we need you to maybe teach Spanish one, which is a completely different direction. Um, Cause I didn't know the textbook and I didn't know sort of what they did in terms of where the kids were when they got to Spanish one, because Spanish one in different high schools is very different. Um, because some students will have taken Spanish in middle school and elementary school like I did. Um, and so Spanish one for me in high school was a higher level than the Spanish one is here, where a lot of times it's our, our students first time seeing Spanish. Um, so that was interesting to have to wrap my head around. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I was in the dark for a long portion of that summer before I moved down here, which was pretty tough. I should have you over to my house sometime to teach what you learned about AP econ, just so that you don't feel like it was a complete waste. I've completely like, forgotten tell, it at this tell point. Tell me about the economy. <laughs> I've completely <laughs> forgotten it. Like occasionally, I took one like macro class at Vanderbilt, like my sophomore year for yeah. a semester. So yeah, there's bits and pieces <laughs> that shine through uh, occasionally, but for the most part, that stuff's gone. Yeah. And, and I feel, Why, what about you? Oh, well, sorry, I was just going to say, I feel like schools are usually like intentionally vague about the job description that they put because I mean there might be some like niche classes that they weren't expect expecting a new teacher to have to fill and they could say well technically this would fit into the job description because we left it so vague and that's probably you know what happened in uh in Jack's case right and and, um there's a lot of shuffling that goes on here, especially every summer. Um, so nobody really knows exactly what they're teaching. I think I wasn't alone in that I was in the dark knowing what I was teaching. Um, there are times 
um, even since being here that I wasn't entirely sure what exactly I was going to be teaching the next year until July. Um, so that's just something that I felt I've found comes with the territory here. And I'm not sure what it's like at other schools, but I think why I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, in my communications with the previous headmaster, he used the phrase, you know, I don't want to hire a square peg for a round hole uh, a lot. And I think what he should have used um, is you're going to be my flubber. I'm going to bend you and fit you into <laughs> whatever size, shape, or, you know, hole that we have. And you're just going to have to adjust to it, which I think is it's a smart way to go about things because you are going to find some really versatile people and people again I wasn't uh, an education major I was an English major I had done some some sports writing worked some communications and um, you know there was a lot that I needed to learn so at that point you know you can teach someone what you want them to do but you need to be pretty sure that's what you're going to want them to do for a time moving forward um, I think maybe in Jack's case I think most definitely in my case I was hired with a you know, this guy has potential to do all three things, the triple threat, you know, he'll live in the dorm, he'll coach a sport, and we can figure out what he'll teach down the road. Um, so I was actually looking back at the job offer that was emailed to me originally, not a PDF, just kind of typed in there, <laughs> um, which I think was a little bit part of the hurried hiring process during COVID and weirdness of everything. But um, it was instruction of learning resources uh, or another class and communications, which I have the utmost respect for our communications department, but I, I know very few of them and very little about what they do. I think that, you know, that was just a, man, if we need this guy, we better throw that in his contract so we can <laughs> pull him out when we need him. But um, I didn't even realize that was in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Communications was, was a possibility at that point. Um, I didn't know where I was living until about a week before I moved on campus, which again, I think was mm. kind of a, you know, what else are we going to get in this time being? But uh, what I did know is that, yeah, I was going to have to do a bunch of different things. And I think, you know, at the very end of the day, I was happy to embrace doing a bunch of different things. But I could also see someone who is maybe a little more rigid or, you know, had a specific mindset about what they wanted to teach. And, you know, there's kind of this expectation that you might have is, oh, I'm going to be teaching, you know, world literature and nothing else. And then you come in and they say, well, you're actually not teaching world literature at all, at all. And how you react to that is, you know, person to person, I think I've been lucky to kind of navigate to the right people and end up teaching you know in English class that I really enjoy teaching and you know teaching more classes next year but you know I think it is uh, a smart hiring process but you really got to hire the, the right personalities in order for it to work yeah um, this might this question may have been answered basically by you talking about how things were kept so vague but what would you say for you know, in what ways did you feel doomed to fail or in what ways do you think you could have been better prepared or groomed to do what you're doing now? Even after you got here and you finally did find out what your job was, what, do you feel like there were still things that were lacking as far as getting you where you needed to be? 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that um, was lacking is I didn't know much about the culture or identity of the school until, you know, a month or two in when I started learning more about the kids itself, which has a really big impact on your experience at the school. If you, you know, you can teach American Lit at every school in the country, but if you don't gel with the, you know, vibe of the school and you don't enjoy the students or the faculty members that you work with, it's a real struggle. And that's something which partially was due to, you know, moving down in August 2020 when COVID was um, a pretty big issue. But, you know, it was really not explained as, you know, who is Christ School? We didn't really go over that that often. And, um, you know, it kind of took me going out and searching for myself to find out what the culture and identity of the school really was. Yeah, I think the culture part for me was something that I got a little bit lucky in that um, there was somebody, one of Jamil's old um, head of houses in South Carolina kind of took me under his wing early on in August of my first year and sort of showed me the ropes, not in terms of classes, but just here's how things work here. Um, This is what we do. This is when we have faculty meetings. This is how it works when it's Asheville School Week or our Spirit Week. Um, Here's what the kids are like. Here's what you can talk to them about. Here's what you don't talk to them about. And it's kind of one of those things. I was, I just turned 22. Um, and it ta- it took me a little bit to move out of the headspace of like, I am in college. Uh, it is a very different time yeah. in my life than now I'm five days a week, including some weekends working with, with younger kids and, and having to be a, a role model and setting an example, which is something I've relished. Um, and something I love being able to do. Um, but I was thankful to have somebody who sort of showed me the way in that and, and as well as um, another one of the history teachers here who was my mentor took me under his wing in that way. Uh, I think where I was doomed to fail in certain ways is that I was handed certain classes. I was handed that Spanish one class. Um, and even though I was a Spanish minor in in college, a lot of those upper level Spanish classes in college were really, really niche, right? Like Spanish film or or... Spanish for conversation. So um, I had to go back and sort of redo the nuts and bolts of of here's how the language comes together because it had been so long since I had done that, uh, upwards of 10 years since I had gone through sort of the things that I teach in Spanish 1. And luckily, uh, members of the Spanish department did help me out um, with um, here's how we do this, here's the pacing. Um, But coming up with lesson plans – was was difficult for me early on. Um, and only the next year when I had done it once was I really comfortable with what I was doing. And and Jack, your your first couple of years, like what was the oldest um group of students that you would t- that you would teach? Like did you have seniors or juniors or anything like that? My first year it was Spanish one, so it was a mostly eighth and ninth graders. There was maybe probably a junior or two in there who needed to fulfill a language requirement. Um, my second year in Spanish culture and conversation, um, that's when I had seniors. So I was still, I had turned 23 by that point, And I had kids in that class who were 19, which creates a, or, and, and one of them who turned 20 during the school year. So um, because of reclassing and things like that. So that definitely presents another issue of, of, Mm-hmm. We're not that far apart in age and the kids feel like they can speak to you in certain ways um, because they see a lot of themselves and us, even though we're at very different points in our lives. And why did you have anything like that? 
Yeah, so I'm currently teaching uh, mostly juniors and seniors. Um, thankfully, I'm, I'm 24. I, I did a year somewhere else before I was working directly with students at boarding schools. But I think where I see it most is, is in the dorm, and I have upperclassmen in my dorm. And, you know, I'm the only person who lives in that dorm. Um, so when they need something, it's like they come knock on my door and... You know, it's kind of like the, the older brother, younger brother mentality. Like, when I need you, you better be there. And so at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday night, you know, sometimes I'm needed and I got to be there. Um, which is a, a, an interesting dynamic because then you have those times where you're on duty and you're sitting around watching a football game. And they're having their 18-year-old kid conversations that, you know, you, you want to hear nothing about. Um, and then that group will disperse and someone will be sitting there, you know asking you for life advice 20 minutes later. So it's kind of the, you know, they see you both as someone to look up to and someone who has a lot of information to offer them, but also someone that for, you know, lack of a better term, they can just shoot the breeze with when they, whenever they feel like. And I was thankful and I'm still thankful that I'm in the eighth and ninth grade dorm. So I don't run into that as much with my kids. They're, the, the problems I run into in, in my dorm are, <laughs> of a different of a different type it's more yeah um i got some stories from there but uh that was nice when i was 22 um to to be with eighth and ninth graders who were who were still shorter who were still kids really um so that i i looked like more of an adult figure to them than i would have if i was in the dorm you worked in jamil um where there were seniors who were three years different in age than me at that point um who might not have respected authority as much. I would have had to work a lot harder to gain that authority from them than I did when I was with the eighth and ninth graders who see I'm fairly tall. I'm not that imposing, but I'm fairly tall. So none of them were taller than I was. None of them were bigger than I was. So it was a little bit easier in, even in that, the most simple way to, to be an authority figure with them. I know your first season, you didn't get a full lacrosse, uh, season to happen because that was spring of 2020 but right. how was that like stepping into a varsity sport with a lot of upperclassmen that first year you know that was pretty hard for me um I was supposed to be coaching JV uh and then something happened and all of a sudden in February so I was coaching eighth grade basketball at the time yeah. um about to go do JV lacrosse so I missed the whole preseason for varsity lacrosse which ended up being which is when we get most of our work done and when the team comes together um by the time we get to the actual season in lacrosse, like they are they're close and everybody knows their role and yeah. they know their coaches and it, it kind of rolls from there so i showed up after that had happened um and so it was hard to not feel like i was just along for the ride i i ran the box um something that Wyatt does now um but i i had substitutions i've learned this yes. for those who don't know lacrosse very well that he handled yes when the guys go in and out. Right. There's a box on a lacrosse field, the only place that you could sub through. Um, so you need a coach there to tell people when to come in, uh, when to go in the game and come out of the game. And all subs are really done in lacrosse on the fly, which means while the game's going on, you're subbing people in and out. Um, so that's why you need a coach there. So that's what I did my first year. Um, and it went like, it went by so fast, like a snap of a finger. Um, they were very, very good. And they were very, senior heavy um so it was easy to feel like i had no real bearing on how the team was going to do 
Um, luckily, I, I have a good relationship with um, the head lacrosse coach who was in his first year then, uh, who I still, Wyatt and I still work under now. Um, so that made it a little bit easier. But yeah, it was it was tough for a little while to to sort of start feeling like, okay, I can do this. I can be a coach to these kids. I can be a mentor to these kids because A, they're close in age to me and B, I hadn't been there with them when they went through the toughest part of their season. Um, so you guys have talked about a couple of things that you uh, are, are grateful for um, in those opening years. Let's go in, into that a little bit more now. In what ways were you built to succeed or how do you feel like you have been supported um, or what has, what moments allowed you, whether it was with another person or not, what moments allowed you to feel like I've got this or I feel much more comfortable in my situation now? In other words, what kept you from leaving immediately after the year you got here? I think the biggest thing is faculty support when they don't have to do it. Like I wasn't assigned a mentor, but I had five, ten people throughout the year whose classes I sat in just because they were like, hey, come by, check it out and, you know, give me support and feedback. Like they wanted my feedback, which, you know, kind of just showed faith in, you know, my ability. Um, it also kind of allowed me to see exactly how to manage a classroom and, you know, what level our students are at here and prepare you for that first year of, you know, being on your own and out of the cage. Um, but I think, you know, some of the moments where you realize you can succeed are, you know, just small things where a kid asks you a question and, you know, the answer right off the top of your head and they're like, oh, thanks, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Or when another faculty member, you know, reads something that you have written or listens to an idea of yours and implements it into their class or responds to, you know, a paper or a thesis with some interesting feedback and gets into dialogue it makes you feel less like they're your professor like in college where they're you know skeptical and trying to see you prove yourself and more that you have already proved yourself you know they're welcoming you into that community and just having a supportive faculty here when really they they had no mm -hmm. you know requirement to be um it's been super super helpful you know, from all different departments, people are interested in what you're doing and want to share in your successes. And I, I think that is, you know, something that is pretty unique to boarding schools, but especially this one, I haven't, you know, my previous time working at a boarding school was a little bit more competitive here. It's a little bit more of, you know, we're a team, let's build each other up. And that's been really helpful. Yeah. And I, I can echo those same things. Um, I was fortunate to be able to sit in like built in, have built in classes that I would sit in on in my first year. I was a bit like a student teacher, as I said before. So I sat out on history classes and English classes. And so I always laugh because I go find my old name tag that they gave me yeah. at the beginning of my first year. And it says like Jack Fader, English history, world languages <laughs> on it. <laughs> like yeah. most people just have. Um, and that's not to say I was qualified at that point to teach any one of those three subjects. <laughs> Um, but that, that it always makes me laugh seeing that. Um, but yeah, teachers uh, were great to me, um, the older of teachers. Jamil, you, you were great to me in, in helping me figure out how to run a class and, and deal with the younger kids who can present a problem um, and deal with them in a way um, that, that gives them respect, but also keeps them 
focused on what they have to do. Um, and so that was something that was really awesome for me to be able to watch. Um, I mentioned in the world language department, there are a couple teachers. Our, our department has been awesome to me, um, especially in culture and conversation, um, giving me ideas, um, different ways I can do projects because it's mostly a project-based class. Um, and then I'm lucky that there's another teacher who teaches Spanish one who I've been able to bounce ideas off of um, and, and sort of follow him in, in the way that he he teaches his class. Um, but I also just want to say the the second half of that question, what made you stay here past one year? And And part of that for me was the feeling that I was going to get better um, at doing this. And I loved the people. I loved the people. I loved the, the, the boys and, and the teachers. Um, and I was, wasn't really one at that point to give up just because one part of it was something that was a work in progress. There were other things that I felt like I was decent at. I, I, I felt like I was an okay coach. Uh, I felt like I was a good house parent from, from the beginning. Um, and so I knew that if I worked hard enough that the teaching would follow with that. Um, and so that's something that's unique to a boarding school. And I'm thankful I was at a boarding school to do that because it's another part of the job that sort of you can have in your back pocket. Like, okay, I can, I can do this very well. Let me work on this part. Where if I was at a day school and it was just teaching and I was struggling that hard at a day school in my first year, um, I might have felt a lot different. I might have felt a lot more down, right? There were, there were, there were highs in that first year that kept me feeling like I could do the job. Um, and that's just because... I wear so many hats so that there's more opportunities to be, um, to have those highs, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, to just to put a point on Jack's situation, I think we almost did it right with you, Jack, where you came in, it was your first year out of college and we had you in all these like kind of trial student teaching things where you did teach a unit of my class and I got to watch you do that. And you were going to take over one of those classes at the semester before we ended up having to scramble and, and move you around more. But I think that would have been a perfect way to transition you in where you still had a teacher observing you. I think we have another teacher who came in last year and he was co-teaching in English. And I think that is the more ideal way of not making someone swim all on their own that first year having someone there immediately with to observe them and for them to observe. Um, I think that's a great way to, to set people up. Um, Joe, did you want to add anything or ask anything? Well, I, I think it's really, really important for those first couple of years that the school make it a point to get you in other teachers classes, just to see other, other styles, other methods, um, how they control classroom behavior, all those things. And, that, and that's something that our school does as well. And uh, especially for, for all, I think, first and second year teachers, they have you like take a day where they'll get you a sub and you're just going to like three or four different teachers who are veteran teachers. And they make sure that you can get an idea of, you can take little bits of what this teacher does. You can take little bits of what this teacher does and implement that into your classroom and put your own spin on it. And I think that's really, really important for you know, first year teachers. My first year teaching, I remember I was given only one section of, of class to teach that gave me time to go and sit in on another teacher who was teaching the same material. And so not only did I get to see how 
he taught that content, but I got to see how he taught in general, how he handled his class, how he interacted with the students. And I didn't do everything he did, um, but it was just a great way to see like, okay, this is, you know, this is normal behavior. Or this is stuff I should adapt to my classroom. And it just, it makes you feel oriented and not like I'm out here on a rope and I'm not really sure what I'm doing. Absolutely. Great. Um, do you guys have a funny story, one or both of you from your several years at Christ school? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many stories here of just, you, you see something, you're just like, oh, that's so that kid. Um, and it's hard to kind of capture that, that essence. But, I mean, there's just been so many times. And, and in particular, you know, being on weekend duty this year, you know, a few weeks ago when, you know, the mask mandate was finally lifted around school um, at the end of the day on a Friday, which, you know, if you want to talk about ways you were set up for failure, talk about being on <laughs> Friday night duty, two hours after the mask mandate was lifted. But, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, less of a funny story, more of just a euphoria and kind of the first time where I've really felt like, you know, this has been a really, you know, kind of a home for me is seeing the group of boys that I have had to yell at to keep their mask on for the last six months be able to parade in their, you know, nicely woven together handmade uh, COVID mask bras that they all <laughs> made that night and wore around for a shirtless COVID brawl party that they threw that night. And, oh you know, mo most times y y you feel like that's maybe something you should shut down, especially when the Snapchats are being sent around. But in, in that moment, <laughs> there's there's not much else you can do besides, you know, chuckle and turn the music up a little bit more. So, you know, that, that was definitely at least this year, I think maybe my favorite moment of the year so far. Yeah. And I've been sitting here and trying to think uh, of a specific funny story, but I think the things that make me happy here are just the little things, seeing kids uh, during the day and they'll say something funny to you and, and that it kind of brightens your day or sitting in chapel and you turn around and, and seeing one of the students that, um, and him making like hand motions. It's, it's a, it's difficult for me to find one specific thing and more of just every, the group as a whole, have a good time. Um, I always go back to the senior faculty basketball games and just listening to the, listening to the kids and what they have to say to us because they get given basically free reign there um, <laughs> to say what they need to say to us, um, which is always my favorite night of the entire year. Um, Wyatt might think otherwise after his performance uh, this fall. Um, <laughs> he did not have a good start to the game. Um, but, yeah, it, they had wrestlers, like semi-pro wrestlers come one night during Spirit Week, and that was fun watching the kids interact with those guys. And, and I feel like you just need to take the boys out of what they feel to be their comfort zone and, and give them an opportunity to be creative and be together. Um, for them to create things that are that are incredibly entertaining, um, where they come out of it being like, I would never have done that beforehand, um, but I had a great time doing it. Um, so I guess, yeah. Really quick story from uh, that that basketball game. You know, Jack being a pretty young faculty member, the kids sometimes try to go at him a little bit more, and they were certainly chirping 
when he ever got the ball and he pulls up a three from like at least three feet behind the line, drains it and is completely stone faced, turns back to the fans and just holds up three, just staring at them the whole time. Like, <laughs> What did you think was going to happen? Like, this is what I do. <laughs> well, OK, well, on, on, a, on a coldness level, colder than Dame's three against uh, against the Thunder. Dame level. There's it was, video it was, of it. There's Dame and there's Fader, and it's like right there. Oh man, that's good stuff. <laughs> there's video of it if you want to see it. it oh, I, I held the three up for probably a good that. 15 seconds. Could, could have held it up. longer, to be honest. Like just, yeah, I was, I was, page. I was devouring that moment. It was so good. What'd you say to me? Jay? It was. We gotta, we gotta post the video. We, yeah, that actually, that would be a good preview <laughs> as like showing this. We got this guy to be on our pod. <laughs> it was, it's, it's pretty bad. I mean, I held it for a long, long, like all the way back I'm, on defense, touch the baseline, still holding I'm it telling up. You, as it I was warranted. <laughs> and you'll hear the, the sound from before I took that shot. It is an annoying sound that they were making. Yeah. It was a hundred percent deserved. Um, yeah. But maybe I might've held it a bit longer no, than normal. I loved it. So loved did it. the faculty get the W? We always do. We always do. That's usually how that stuff goes. Yeah. They come yeah, out like out. they talk like they're going to beat us by 35 every year. And yeah. My three years here, they have not really come all that close to beating us. They, they do a couple exciting things in the first quarter, but wisdom wins out out over youth. Usually. That that and when they sub in the the seniors who aren't very good, we usually go on a big run <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Got to wait for the first line to get uh, well, tired. Speaking of speaking of basketball, I think we've got to go to our numbers game, which is this week results from our picks from the Sweet 16. And Joe is taking a a big breath, although I, I don't know how this is going to go. I I don't know how anyone could have gotten more than four picks right with all the Games? with all the surprise endings uh, or the surprise results from. <laughs> From this week. So, Joe, I've got I've got a list of the games. So I'll just say who I picked and if I was right. And then you you can chime so in. So I actually have it on the iPad. So give me a second to write down who I had winning each game. Before, before we get to the picks, let, for, while we're on the air, uh, Wyatt wants to have a moment of glory to celebrate the state of New Jersey. Go ahead, Wyatt. Shout out to the St. Peter's Peacocks for holding down the state of New Jersey. Uh, first team to get to the Sweet 16 in over 20 years, let alone the Elite Eight. The first 15 seed to ever do it. And who knows, maybe the first 15 seed to get to the Final Four. Carolina is shaking in their boots, and the state of New Jersey is pulling for the Peacocks. I just want the audience to know that Wyatt is a Rutgers fan, and so this is completely <laughs> coattail riding. Rutgers owner of zero postseason wins this right. year. The Vanderbilt Commodores owners of two postseason wins this year. I have to say the memes, the memes of like little kids running away from like peacocks that have been posted on the internet have been oh, that's great good these last yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah. All right. So I I don't know if I have this in any kind of proper order, but I'll just start, Joe, and you can chime in. So I've got I picked Gonzaga over Arkansas. That was wrong. Uh, same with me. So that's 0-1. Uh, I did pick Villanova to beat Michigan, so that makes me 1-1. One one. I had Villanova as well. Okay. I had Texas Tech over Duke, so that's wrong. I'm 1-2. I had Duke, so I'm 2-1. Oh, boy. 
I had Arizona over Houston. That makes me one and three. So that's two two and two for you. I had Purdue over St. Pete. Sorry, Wyatt, for doubting New Jersey. That makes me one and four. (laughs) I I had had to be a homer cheering on on an Indiana team. I had Purdue as well. Okay. And then I had – I wanted Providence to beat Kansas, so I missed that one. Uh, One and five. And then the last two I did get right. I had UNC over UCLA. As did I. And I had Miami over Iowa State. I had Iowa State. So I got four right. And I got three right. So <laughs> three out of three out of five loses to uh, four out of four. Joe, you got 50%. Yeah. Um, so that means I get to build up my muscle mass again with another dirty dozen mm-hmm. uh, for my punishment. But I know that I've done it before, so I have the confidence that I will be able to do it again. Awesome. Um, Jack and Wyatt, thanks so much uh, for coming on the pod and sharing from your experiences. We really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. It was a blast. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, Anything else, Joe, before we let them do the sign-off? No. All right, so our, our phrase for the podcast is learn them good. So since you guys are guests, you get to say it. Learn them good. Learn them good. Learn them good, everybody. We'll see you learn later. Good. See you.